Culture and Psychology with Tabana. Shinavandigan Aziz, Radio Bamdad. This is Dr. Rockers introducing Culture and Psychology. Today, I'm so excited to have Alex Andrade back. Dr. Andrade, welcome back. I've returned. Thank you. Thank you, Dan. And of course, our host is Dr. Malik Hafsali, who will <laughs> be hosting the podcast tonight. Can you take it away, Dr. Malik Hafsali? Sure. I really appreciate it. That's wonderful, uh, Dan. Salome Garmemo Vishanavandigan Radio Bamdad. Our warm hello to our listeners. Um, I really appreciate my two friends, Dr. Andrade and Dr. Rockers, who just, um, you heard her talking. Today, we are going to talk about how we learn and learning to learn. Basically, it's a really um, broad topic, but as an educator, I am uh, sort of familiar with this term, and this is something that we've been always working on teaching the kids to be aware of their learning. So basically, as soon as Dr. Rocker suggested to talk about learning how to learn, I immediately said metacognition because metacognition refers to a process of coming after or beyond, the act of acquiring knowledge. It is thinking about thinking or the space beyond thinking where we can plan, monitor, and assess our efforts to think, know, or learn about something. So all people somehow are engaged in metacognition to at least to some extent. Maybe we don't realize that we think about thinking. So this process is really important to teach the kids or adults even that they develop the knowledge or skill in certain area. So think about the strategies you can use to develop those skills um, and just evaluate how um, those strategies work when you're learning. So it is important to develop that, those skills. And um, uh, perhaps most of us do this without even realizing we do, because I know I've worked throughout the years of experiences that I had with people that Sometimes they go, you know, you need to do this in order to learn. They're thinking about their own way of learning, but they're also sharing um, without realizing that maybe that's a skill or that process and that the way they learn, it belongs to the way they do and that, that works for them. But each of us have a different way of uh, learning. And uh, today I'm glad Dr. Rockers brought this um, to our conversation, and we are talking about this. You, I think you've got a lot of experience in terms of in metacognition and instructor for so many. Is that actual training that you get or training to teacher that they say, you know what, metacognition, here's the thing you're going to need? Not really. And I even actually hadn't thought of this until maybe... 10 years ago, there was a program called GLAD, uh, which I, I can't remember exactly what was a standing for, but that was a great program. We were certified. It was two years program, and we had uh, two 
um, teachers who were leading this program and they actually brought this program to the state of California and they were going to places to train teachers. And through them, I understood how these skills develop in each person differently, but basically a lot of great strategies in order for the students, for teachers to teach the students how to process their own learning, because each of us learn differently. Some of us are, are auditory learners, some of us are visual learners, some of us are kinesthetic learners, but based on these types of learning that each of us may have, for example, I'm a visual learner. Although auditory and kinesthetic helps, but my basic, um, this, the power that I have is whenever I see something, the way my brain works, is if you, for example, pronounce a word and I hear it, I may know the meaning even, but I have to see it to memorize it. If you write it down for me, then I will not forget it because then every time that word comes to my mind, I see it. Or some people are kinesthetic. They have to really work with their hands. They have to really, um, for example, if it's not touchable, they have to see it in a sentence. They have to really practice that's kinesthetic. But if you are auditory, some people are great in hearing something and then they remember. You know, so combination of this is in, in each of us, but we have probably dominant way of learning. And, and we have to find in our own learning um, style or learning um, actually um, it's innate in us. We don't even know which type of learner we are until we practice and we know um, how to learn. That's interesting because, yeah, I always say I'm a visual learner to the point where it probably annoys people uh, because I'm like, I got to see it. I'm like, they're like, no, but like this. I'm like, you can tell me all day and you can describe it to me, but I, I need to like see it. And then once once I see it, I'm like, oh, OK, um, it's always interesting too. I always tell people I can like drive somewhere like visual, visual, spatially. My skills are pretty good, too. I could go somewhere one time and I could remember how to get there pretty much, uh, you know, forever. So. Um, you know, don't invite me to your house unless you want me to come back is basically what I'm telling people. So yeah, no, it's, it's great though to know how you would learn. Uh, it makes it so much easier too along those. Yeah, and definitely uh, if we know how we learn, we are more successful, especially for students, you know. So basically I can just say it in order to improve metacognition, we have to try to explain a concept to ourselves or to a friend. This type of self-monitoring can be highly effective. So basically the capacity for metacognition is really an important step for children's um, cognition development. So I, I really recommend to parents uh, to even, not only for themselves, but for their children to find out what type of learner there are and ask questions so that they, they think about how they learn. And I think the reason they change all the testing in the state of California, which I don't know if you are in, um, involved or had, had heard even about the SMART, um, which is the short, uh, the, the SMART way of testing. It's... Um, uh, I just right now, I can't remember, but there's the, now the state of California, 
testing has changed. And basically what it is, the teaching based on those tests changed. And you have to have the kids when they respond to questions to explain to you how they learn and how they came to this um, answer, which was really powerful and important. And it changed the way kids took the test and their scores went even higher because they started realizing how they're learning. For example, if right now we're talking about metacognition, I'm just trying to remember what I have learned through these years. And now not only I'm talking to you, but I'm in, in a way thinking about my learned process. So it's really interesting um, when you, for example, let's talk about psychology. When you're talking about a topic of psychology and you're talking to your patients, at that point, you're bringing those knowledge and you're going through process. And then you're actually talking to yourself, but at the same time, you're monitoring what you're telling your patients, but it's your knowledge, the way you explain, the way you are um, giving that knowledge to someone else. So they try to change this in the state of California so that the students start thinking about their learning and go through the process, develop those skills by practice and practice. For example, if you say two times two is four, you have to explain to me why did you get to that? I may just say, well, two times two, um, and then I can maybe if I'm kinesthetic, I can just bring something touchable, maybe, um, you know, when I was teaching algebra, I always brought some uh, manipulative, which was like, um, there are many great um, stuff in the market for teaching. So the shapes, um, all sorts of things that you can bring and you can work with uh, students to understand. The things have changed so much and kids learn so much better with all these manipulatives. So yeah, it's really interesting. I'm glad you brought this up. Is this the sort of thing that parents automatically know about their kids? I hope they do, you know, <laughs> because it's like, for example, for me, I had two um, kids and it was very interesting for me to compare the two when they started to learn. Uh, one had to really process completely differently. The other was very quick in, in his mind, but uh, my other son had to really write think about it, process it. But the other one was just immediately in his head, never counted with his fingers. I mean, you definitely, if you have one child, probably it's hard to compare. But if you have at least two, then you can compare between two how they learn. So that even opens your eyes that, wow, they learn differently. So now I need to work with this uh, child differently than the other one. The other one maybe uh, is an uh, auditory learner as soon as he hears, process it. But the other one is visual and kinesthetic, has to really write it down, process it differently. If you had manipulative, it was so much easier and better. But regardless of what kind of learner you are, kinesthetic always helps, even for adults. When you see it and, and they draw it, they explain it differently, you learn better. Well, related to that, 
I was going to say, Daniel, related to that, I could see it being very important that parents are um, uh, kind of informed about how their child learns. I, I just, as a therapist, uh, I, I could see the potential for parents to say, why don't you be more like your brother? Why don't you be more like your sister in that their learning style versus recognizing, you know, it's not right or wrong or good or bad. It's just how that child processes information. So rather than just defaulting to that, thinking, you know, as you described, you know, how does my child learn? So that way, rather than saying it's, you know, problematic and, and trying to force them to learn in a way that isn't really conducive to their mind, you cultivate the way that they learn a little bit more. And teachers are going to have their own preferred teaching style as well, I would think, because I think back to my teachers and some of them did it one way and some of it did another. And so maybe there's a thing too, if your child isn't learning as well, is to see if you can act recognize well what is their learning style and what is their teaching style is that i am glad you brought this up that's absolutely true but one of the things we have always learned and improved but one of the things i learned throughout my teaching and my experiences they constantly train you in in making you aware of all different types of learning and the styles that you have to use with different style of learning. And whenever it comes to psychology, I always actually bring my learning from my teaching into psychology. And that is, this patient may not be an auditory learner. So I have a whiteboard, and I draw, I write it down, you know, we have to be aware, it's the same. So working with patients is the same. You know, just maybe by talking, sometimes you have to write it down for some patients to give it to them. This is your homework. This is how you do it. The process now explain to me how you understand this process. It's exactly the same. So, for example, we have different types of um, learning style. And based on that, if you're in classroom, let's say, and you have 30 students, if you're a good teacher, you have to separate these kids in different groups when you're teaching and when they are practicing so that those that are kinesthetic, they're working with manipulatives. And there's all sorts of things you can give the students to work on that. There's another group that they're research-based, they're really um, visual, so you can put the computer in front of them and go, okay, go. You can just go search, go online, bring things that helps you and the other, maybe they have um, some taping, some going online with listening to, uh, you know, cause there are all sorts of program, even extensions of different uh, apps that you can put on a computer and they can read it to you. So, I mean, all sorts of, sorts of things. If you're a good teacher, you can really do well with the kids to develop their metacognition and they develop their learning. We got to our first break. Um, sorry, guys, when it comes to teaching, I pretty much take over. Oh, it's great. It's great I information. It's good. Yeah. Sure. So we're going to give a short break and come back and continue our conversation.
We are back with Dr. Rockers and Dr. Andrade today. Dr. Rockers brought the topic of learning how to learn, which was the topic of my interest because of my background. And uh, I appreciated that because it is really important because it's like everyday part of life, even for us as adults, even for us as professionals, because we need to understand how our mind works and how we process things that we hear, things that we see. And uh, it's important because it gives us amazing empowerment in how we can tackle things that we need to learn. So um, we talked about this part, uh, which was metacognition and different styles of learning. And we came to the point that in any profession, if we understand who we are dealing with, who are our customers, who are our clients, and we understand their type of learning, it helps us to work with them better. Here's a question. Isn't, I'm thinking in terms of students and homework assignment in the time of COVID, well, isn't most of the homework of a certain, is not a mix of those learning types, or is that not correct? What's the way to this? How can, what their kids need? I'm I'm glad you brought this up because for example, the organization I was working with, and you guys know that was, basically an online program way ahead of time in 20 years and all. And I am still in communication with the teachers. So I'm glad you brought this up because the students somehow now with not having, um, at least because even though we were online, they um, were seeing the teachers uh, weekly, uh, but now it's all online. But the teachers basically with the Zoom which or other programs that people have, but they have classes, they have whiteboard, they teach them, they talk to them. They have even different classes, for example, for math, for sciences, for all different programs, uh, teachers of um, specialty for each topic, they got together and they started having classes. So for example, if I'm a teacher, and I have 30 students under me, even though online, right? So I know Alex has problem with, let's say, uh, writing. And I know Dan has problem with one of the sciences. So I go, okay, Dan, you need to be enrolled in this class. Alex, you need to enroll in this class. And um, I give him the date, I give him a time. You have to be present for that class. Uh, because you're failing um, your science. And as a teacher who sees all your grades and works with you, I know you need this class. I know you need that class. So you have to go to these classes online. And um, actually, it was very interesting because the teachers I was talking to, they said, you'd be amazed to know that kids are doing better even now. With What? Yeah, it was amazing because they said, even though before they were seeing the kids weekly, now they have all this time at home, you know, so they they write a letter to parents and they say, uh, Mr. Dan Rockers needs to be in this class at this time. And if he doesn't, he's going to fail this class. So as parents, I am on you and I go down, hey, I received a letter from your teacher and tells me that you need to be 
um, present in this time, in this class. And uh, uh, Alex, you need to be in this class. So the parents now receive the letter that you, your child needs to be in this class. And they have just started being so creative to create all these different things for the kids to improve and to do better. So I was so happy, even though I'm now out of the system, but the teachers, they were telling me, you'd be surprised, Sai, that the kids are doing even better because of the system they created to reach out to all the parents and kids and um, because they have more time in their hands. Teachers now, they're sitting and they're just being creative how they help their uh, students. And um, another thing that uh, we started actually was the someone who was very, very savvy in technology and also teaching and learning created a system that throughout the whole school, everybody had access to the performances of the students in each subject. So for example, if I'm working with you two and you have your own students, I can go check Alex's students' performances and I go, wow, Alex has all the students not even getting less than C and I have like five, seven kids who are receiving D in science. It's the same content, it's the same class, what's going on? Is it my teaching? Is it something with my kids? you start really comparing yourself because you have access to all the system. At first, many teachers were against it because they thought we are comparing themselves, but we were just so honest. We said, no, this is for you to compare yourself. We are not gonna take anything against you. It's just the system have created for you to know, uh, Dr. Rockers, how their students are doing, Dr. Andrade, how their students are doing, and I can compare how my students are doing. Imagine there's a system that even though all the kids are different, their learnings are different, my teaching is different, but at least it just brings something to your mind that, hmm, I better get on these kids. It seems like I let go of these kids that they're not doing well. Maybe my teaching is not really the way it should be. So it just keeps you really in a different mood to know what other classes, are, what's happening. And even though everything is online, the beauty of it is that you have access to all that information. I could, I could kind of speak to that. When I was in grad school, I was from a, a small school and all my professors, there was pros and cons to that, but one of the benefits was all my professors knew when I was struggling in an area. And for example, writing was an area that I struggled in a little bit when I started. So all my professors knew. And so they would all kind of help me a little bit or I'll focus on that a little bit in a way of encouraging that I'd be very, you know, uh, that they just, you know, supported me in my writing. And so at, at first it was like, oh, great. Everybody knows what my problem is, but then everybody was able to help too. So I can imagine as you're saying, that can really make a difference for kids education versus, uh, you know, all the teachers kind of working in silo in that way. Well, did everybody, did all your teachers know because one spread the word to everybody else or everybody knew because the online platform 
expose this area to each teacher. Oh, this is great. This is before online platform, but they would get together. All the professors would get together and they would, because I had a cohort of like 12 people. So they oh. all got together and they talked about every single one of us to make sure our growth and development was on track. And so it sounds like through technology, the teachers are able to do that on a larger scale, which is great, especially at that, uh, that very pivotal kind of uh, you know age and, and a part of your life of growth and development and, you know, having the foundation of education in that way. So, yeah, that's, that's excellent. You know, well, it's, it's a rotten feeling to get left behind. And once you get left behind in something, it's pretty tough to get caught up again. Right. Zade? What were you going to say? Yeah, no, I was just going to say, as Alex was saying, I was going through my um, memory of what, what we were doing. You know, if you really are into deeply helping the kids there's so many ways you can do it and online actually gives you a bigger scope of work that you can do with the kids and because we started really early to be online and we were one of the pioneers actually in the state of california many charter schools reach out to us to tell them how we do our program um, and we were one of the pioneers, but because we grew into this step-by-step, step, the system now works perfectly for someone who really wants to learn and for a teacher who really wants to be a, to teach and be a good teacher. Because you have every everything you need. It's all in a bigger scope, and you can just really take advantage of these opportunities that have provided for the teachers and the system. For example, all the curriculum is online. The teachers can even manipulate the program. For example, if I know um, Alex is not really up to speed with the class level, I can actually pick and choose some of the specific assignment for Alex that I know this is his weakness. I mean, there's so many things you can do with the system if you really are aware of every student's weaknesses and strengths. And if I have three students who are way ahead, I put them on AP curriculum. I give them tasks that get them ready for UC uh, application, uh, you know, use, applying to UCs. There's so many ways you can support the kids. You have to really have that deep um, understanding of your role as a teacher, what you can do, and how you can support the kids. It's a really, um, I always told my teachers that it's a sacred profession. You have to really understand the level of influence you have on kids and what you can do with these kids to develop their knowledge, to develop their personalities, to develop who they, um, they need to be in order to be successful in the society by not really cliching who they need to be, but as a person, as a, you know what I mean? Just open the route to what their interest is, help them, you know, if, if um, I know Alex, for example, wants to be a doctor, I have to provide all the information I have in my hand to support this kid, talk to the parents, make sure he has all the resources, make sure all the extra classes he needs, make sure help him where to apply, what to do. So yeah, I mean, 
teachers can do so much for kids. And, and I know they do, you know, I am so fortunate to work with a bunch of professionals that I can't tell you enough how creative some of them are, how creative they are in supporting the kids, how well they knew their students. Um, and because it's online, they have a lot of time that they can develop many skills in themselves. Let's, before we, or I want to introduce at least before the next break, this idea of the intersection of culture and this type of thing, culture and psychology, of course, which is what we're about, but culture and this metacognition or culture and metacognition of learning. So maybe after, I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to rush the break, but at now or after break, Saida, if you could talk a little bit about it, and Alec too, and what do you see from your heritage? So are we ready for a break now? Yes, we are. So let's just have another break and come back to talk about that. I really appreciate you bringing culture into this because uh, we are all about culture and psychology. We always, um, you know, point this culture piece in every piece of work we have with our patients, with, um, you know, anyone we are in encountering in life. So we're going to give a short break and come back, talk about the importance or the effect of culture in learning, right? Is this exactly what we are going to do? All right, so we come back and we talk about that. with Dr. Rockers and Dr. Andrade. Um, we so far talked about uh, learning how to learn and we talked about teaching the kids or also working with the patients. And uh, Dr. Rockers brought a good point, the effect of culture in learning. And there's so much to talk about that. Uh, I'm glad uh, you asked that question. So the effect of culture in learning, um, basically, uh, we, if we think about teaching in a classroom, we have a very diverse classroom in the state of California. Kids come from different parts of the world, and kids come from different parts of the states. Kids come from different uh, culture of different families type that we have socioeconomic um, we have different race, we have different nationality, we have all sorts of diversity in a classroom. If you want to see a real diversity, you have to go to schools, because that's where you see the real diversity. And in state of California, I remember at one point, it was uh, one out of every four students 
um, coming from different culture or different background. And now I probably think it's even probably closer that uh, uh, like maybe one out of three, I don't know. But that was the statistic at the time. So we're talking about a real diversity in school. So the role of a teacher, the culture in order to learn, I can give you many examples because in different parts of the world, you learn differently. They teach you differently. Um, different eras of teaching has been different. So for example, if I begin teaching and I don't have that understanding of diversity, my thinking is the way my culture is. And if I'm not aware of other cultures, I think that has a great effect in the way the kids learn. That is the reason in staff staffing schools, if you have the same diversity as the students, this is really important. I want you guys to pay attention to this. Like if the staffing is the same as the diversity of the kids, no, imagine how better the kids are gonna learn. Because for example, if I'm a black African-American teacher, and I have a majority of my class, because I taught in a school that majority of the kids were black. So if I'm a black teacher, I am sure that I can teach better. I can understand the, teacher, the, the kids better. And the kids are gonna trust me. I'm the role model. And if they bring something, I can say, you know, I'm from that culture. I know, I know what it is. It's a very different, I think, way of seeing this. Or if you're culturally, culturally aware and profession culturally, then that's a different story. That's why in every school that I've taught, we had so many trainings in cultural diversity, in um, cultural proficiency. We had their, their steps is cultural blindness, cultural um competency, but you have to get to a point that you're culturally proficient. When you're culturally proficient, you have all this diversity in you. You understand the diversity. You can work with everyone better. So it's a process. We have to see where we are in that process to develop that cultural proficiency as a professional whether we are a psychologist, whether we are a teacher, we need to develop that and see where we are in cultural proficiency. So I can I ask a question related to that? Because I know I've done a lot of research related to therapist and client related to cultural similarities or cultural uh, racial ethnic differences. And along those lines, if I'm hearing you right, you know, they find that if there's a therapist of your same background, there is that kind of greater sense of connectedness without having to kind of explicitly sometimes talk about it. However, it's they're always very cautious and, and very um, 
clear in stating that it's not that you can only work with a therapist of your background. It's if you have a therapist who is culturally aware and culturally open, then that can increase the likelihood that that you could be of different racial backgrounds and still be able to work uh, together. Is that kind of what you're saying that it it doesn't have to be? Absolutely. Oh, no. Even I I have witnessed there were people that they were much better in cultural diversity, um, having a different culture and working even better with different diversity. I have seen that. It's just who you are, how you see things and how you're developed in cultural proficiency. I know Dan, you wanna say something. I like the part where you said, this is really important and you guys need to pay attention. I'm, I'm not sure why you were saying that. That, that was a teacher part of her, maybe. Oh, I mean, very you know, good. We, That's we to, very good. And we're usually goofing off, too. I mean, you know, she That's usually true. has to keep us, uh, you know, rein us in. I was, yeah, I was actually trying to do some math problems there while she was talking. Right, could you maybe say what you said again? You're trying to show your work. <laughs> <laughs> you guys. I have to always watch what you're doing. That's why I have to really get your attention. Uh, and you're right, Alex, you know, my teaching background, sometimes I apologize. Sometimes I have to be careful with you. <laughs> yeah, there was a little chalk dust on the shoulder there, I think. Mm-hmm. No, it's it's really, it's fun and I love it. And I know, Dan, you, you push that uh, button in me to talk about <laughs> to talk about things that I I am so interested in. I can talk and talk. So you push that button. Well, here's my question or my, actually my thinking. I forgot my question already. But for myself, I have from youngest days always been interested in other cultures and people from other cultures and other languages. And how do they, how do you speak that? And what do they do differently? And what is it like to live there? That's always been a fascination. And when I hear people say something like, well, I'm not in a place where people, people don't, I, I need to be somewhere where people look like me. To some extent, I get that. I don't necessarily relate to that because a lot of times I don't want to be around a bunch of people that look like me. I want to be around some different people so I can find out some cool new things. Like when we were down and I took a golf trip down to Mexico in Acapulco's 10 years ago, and one of the people working at the resort there, and these were all locals there, they said, hey, why aren't you hanging out with the rest of your group? I said, I don't want to be with the rest of my group. I can be with him all the time when I'm back in the U.S. I want to be around everybody else who's more local here to see if I can pick up some stuff. So that's why you're hanging out with us. (laughs) <laughs> very, very, yeah, you guys, you don't look like me. Alex, you do not look like me. Well, well, I mean, especially uh, me. <laughs> well, that, that reminds me of the idea, too. Just that was one of the first things I thought about when we were talking about uh, learning and, um, you know, learning how to learn is this idea of openness and, uh, you know, that openness, that curiosity almost. Curiosity. And that's kind of what, yeah, that's what I'm kind of hearing from you, Dan. It's that idea of, you know, I can, I, I know my group already, what can I learn from others? And I think that's so valuable in, in learning 
uh, in general, but then also even thinking about how we learn as individuals too, and definitely culturally as well, to be open to the opportunity of what we can gain from others. I think so often where we look at others as it's usually like the idea of us versus them versus like, what can I learn from others? How can I grow from others? Uh, so that curiosity can serve uh, is very valuable in that way. Do you think that certain cultures are more suited toward the education that's going on right now during COVID-19? Very interesting question. Uh, I would say probably younger generation, those that they have um, experienced the technology themselves and they're pretty uh, tech savvy, they're into it. So probably they feel like oh, that's a great idea. So they jump into it. They like it for their children uh, versus those that um, they're not. But I guess up to parents who have high school students, they should be all pretty much, you know, in the era of technology. And I don't see any problem. Even um, the time I was teaching and I was involved with the school with all online stuff that we were doing, most parents were pretty much into technology and they were pretty good and they could help the kids and the kids could actually help their parents because they're the ones that they know even better. But the good combination is that the parents are encouraging and they're into it and they, for the most part, they like it. But you can't just say that in general because I'm sure Many parents, even the time I was with the parents in our system, they always questioned what happens to the social part. Uh, they were always worried about the social part. And that's why the parents actually, many of them in different areas that they were, they got together, they created some socializing events so that the kids could meet and see each other. You know, usually parents are very creative in that. As soon as they notice that there's a way to actually bring this social socializing piece that was missing, they started getting each other's phone numbers, the areas that they were, and um, and gradually we actually became more localized. So we actually divided by location, and um, so that the parents could get together, the kids could go to theater, they could go to sports events, they could meet to go to watch a movie. So we even created that and then gradually parents took over and they even went further. They must have, some of the parents would say, oh, I can get 20 tickets for this movie that is coming up and it's great for the kids. And all these parents say, yes, I want to bring my kid. So they started creating that socializing piece. And soon it wasn't any problem, except some of the kids actually like not to be in the society, not to be socializing because of different issues that they have. So it just gives opportunity to different people with different mindset that they have. Do you think that in this current age of COVID and remote learning that, my question is this, in this age of COVID and remote learning, I thought that a lot of younger people got socialization through the technological social media stuff already. Absolutely. So is there, I mean, is that not affecting some of those youth as much as it might for us 
people who don't really use like I don't, I'm not on Facebook I don't read stuff I don't mess with it but do you think it affects those kids is it less I mean is this partly why it may be working out well for them the technology part I think so because there are in living in the era of media so they they always are connecting somehow through Instagram through Facebook through different uh, groupings but one of the things that was really important was, um, you know, a couple of times we actually caught students that they were at the verge of suicide. So by, um, you know, their friends on Facebook um, saying something to their teacher that so-and-so now on Facebook was saying something about um, thinking about um, suicide and they immediately, actually one of my students that happened that immediately we sent a um, person to meet at the door. We let the um, police know. We we actually really besieged a group to save this kid that was on the verge of suicide. So it has some actually good points because otherwise we didn't know if this kid wasn't on media. Uh, we didn't know what's going on with uh, with that. So yeah, I mean it has. Alex, yeah. Alex, you've got um, nieces and nephews that are school age, right? What are you noticing for them? Yeah, no, several things came to mind. Uh, even it's funny, even how kids get in trouble. Um, now, like my brother was telling his son, no, the, the teacher said you were turning your camera off. And, uh, you know, you weren't, uh, you know, uh, you know, looking at the screen. And it's just like, it, it just sounded so strange. Like that's, that's the equivalent to not, you know, sitting at your desk and, you know, looking forward. Uh, even uh, I think I shared this, my niece was in her class and she's what, kindergarten, first grade. And I, I like walked in and I was like, oh, like I walked in on a meeting almost. And I was like, I'm sorry. And I was like, and she was like, oh no, I haven't muted. And I was like, what? Like, I never thought my niece would be like muting her, you know, classroom Zoom meeting. And so it was just such a strange, I was waiting to, you know, her maybe be 20 to have that kind of conversation. But uh, yeah, it's just, it's different. And it's the thing that amazes me is how quickly they've acclimated to it. And so it's just, it's kind of normal for them already. Um, and that's just kind of what they're doing. And so, um, you know, I, I'd imagine at this point for a lot of people, they're either kind of in the flow of it, or hopefully they've pointed out that it's a bit of a struggle for their, their child or for that student. And so they're able to get that extra attention. So yeah, hopefully by this point, you know, that things have been looking pretty smoothly. And so, yeah, I've seen that in my nieces and nephews. This is, this is just what school is for them now. You know, one of the benefits I see, um, we have a group of teachers that they teach Farsi or Persian to students, um, on, um, they used to teach it um, and they still do. But um, one thing that I uh, noticed was they were always looking for a place they had to rent, even they had to pay for the public school to use some of their uh, classrooms because to pay the janitor um, or to pay for the um, Electros electricity that they use and all of that. So it came up to, a, to an amount, even though it was public school and public school, you can use it. But usually they ran into a lot of problems because the schools don't want to give their classrooms to someone else to come and use it. They always brought some excuses like, oh, we have um, basketball going tonight. Tonight we have math 
you know, uh, society that they, so they, they had a hard time to rent a couple of rooms in one of the elementary or uh, junior high schools or even high school, didn't matter, any schools that they want. So they went through all this trouble to rent. And now imagine they just pick a location that was easier to deal with the administration to rent and parents had to bring their kids from all over different areas now to this place on a Saturday or on a Thursday night evening so that the kids can learn uh, Farsi. So now the teachers have this opportunity online. They can work one-on-one, -on -one. they can work with different levels. They can, I mean, before they had maybe two classrooms, all different levels. They have to run from one level to another. Now imagine what the door has, opening the door has brought all these, you know, opportunities to work separately, to work on their time that is appropriate. They don't have to bring the kids all the way to their location. So this is one of the things I see and the benefit of that. You know, I'm speaking of that, I'm taking a class right now in German language. So that's my heritage and want to learn that. And it's all online, of course, through the local community college. My initial thinking was, ah, yeah, I'm just going to take the class. It's pretty much going to be a check the box type of thing. I, mean, I don't expect that I'll really learn that much. But I'm surprised to find that actually a lot of the exercises and the way that the software is set up is actually pretty helpful. It's a pretty good deal. And I can see where I will learn quite a lot in this class. I don't, it's not, to, I don't think all the software is all, it's not all ironed out because some of it's kind of hard to navigate, but in general, the, the possibilities of it are actually pretty good because you can record your speaking, you listen to things speaking, you have interactive things that are going on. So I think, I think we're going to find that there's a lot of really good things coming from this. It's not all bad. It has pushed us into a certain way that I think can be very helpful. Alex, do you have something? No, oh, that's pretty interesting. And congratulate you on that too. It's always uh, one of the toughest things to to learn a new language. I've tried dozens and dozens of times to try to learn Spanish. And uh, yeah, no, it kind of encourages me. I was saying I was going to wait till the world opens up again. Uh, but yeah, maybe I might uh, look into that a little bit sooner. So no, I think that's uh, encouraging to hear uh, along those lines. So Alex, I always love to learn Spanish all through my life in, in here in United States. And it was always something after something that I had to do. And this was, uh, you know, going back to back burner for me to do. So maybe now you can encourage me and we can take classes together. Because yeah. I heard there's some great classes in downtown Sacramento that um, we can, or probably online now. The... Yeah, I've taken some in person down here in uh, downtown Sacramento. And yeah, it's been a great experience. I always say I know all the good foods, bad words, and uh, know how to ask for uh, more beer. So uh, yeah, the essentials, if you will. All right. Uh, we are getting to the end of our program. Um, thank you very much. I guess I forgot even to say anything in Farsi in between. The topic was so interesting. <laughs> and when I said you push my button in a good way, you push that button <laughs> and start to talk. So thank you. Shanavandagana Azizah Radio Bamdad. Man va hamkaranam Dr. Andradi va Dr. Rockers. Embrus dar khidmaytun budim. 
و در مورد مسائل مختلف یادگیری و آموزش صحبت کردیم ما روزهای شنبه و یک شنبه در خدمتون هستیم به زبان انگلیسی از ساعت دوازده تا یکی بعد از ظهر و خیلی خوشحال میشیم که اگر کسانی هستن که شما میشناسین و میدونین که به زبان انگلیسی ترجیح میدن صحبت های ما رو بشنون ازشون دعوت کنید که برنامه ما رو بهش توجه داشته باشن و ما دوباره فردا برمیگردیم و در خدمتون هستیم پس از این زاری مکان عبسه یاری مکان تو این دل دیوانه با غم به مزار به خواب دل دیوانه بی تو باز آمدم از سر کوی او دل دیوانه پنهان کردم در خاکستر غم آن همه آرزو دل دیوانه با من ای دل چه ها کردی تو مرا با عشق او آشنا کردی پس از این زاری مکن حوث یاری مکن تو ای ناکام دل دیوانه با غم دیرینم به مزار سینم به خواباران دل دیوانه با تو رفتم بی تو باز آمدم از سر کوی او دل دیوانه پنهان کردم در خاکستر غم آن همه آرزو دل دیوانه
بگویم با من ای دل چه ها کردی تو مرا با عشق او آشنا کردی پس از این زاری مکن حوث یاری مکن تو ای ناکام دل دیوانه با غم دیرینم به مزار سینم به خوابارم دل دیوانه به خوابارم دل دیوانه Thank you.